is going to be a good one. Hey, everybody, welcome uh, back. It's episode 12 of Play Games Lose Friends. I'm Ryan here with Ken. We've already screwed up the start of this episode. Let's just continue to screw up. We've got lots to talk about. Arcadia Quest review. That's right, Arcadia Quest, a very old Simon classic that we both own and love and probably have too many expansions for. We're also going to talk about what we played last time. We got a game night in since the last time we talked, so there's some good stuff from that. And then we're going to chat for a little while about we're going to just going to riffraff a little off each other some <laughs> some little tit for tat on overproduction in the hobby and what that means to us from a variety of different standpoints. We're talking pre-show a little bit about it and there's some pretty good stuff that Ken mentioned and I have a few things in my empty brain as well. So let's get started. So game night, we could talk about that last cuz we both played the same stuff. I want to hear the three things you mentioned that you played. What were they? Oh, so from my perspective, uh, I've been getting some old classics that, well, I guess it's not necessarily classics, but they're games that uh, I've owned for a while. They were on the shelf of Shrink for a while, <laughs> or they were opened and never played, and those were Abyss, Aquatica, and Runestones. So I'll start with Abyss. is a very unique game where you are auctioning off sort of resource cards that then you can use to recruit characters and then the characters all do different things and then some characters will come with a key and then you need three keys to unlock a location once you have three keys in your inventory you automatically get a location either from the face up one or any of the face up ones or you get to pull from uh the face down pile and then choose one and it's a, a sort of a point salad type game where you're just trying to get the most victory points at the end. Um, but the end game conditions are kind of neat. So it's either like seven locations, I think, or seven characters. And so there's like race conditions to get there. But, um, all in all, it's a pretty solid production. I have a second, ex I have their, I guess the first expansion cracking for it. Didn't get a chance to play with it, with that. Um, just wanted to get the base game under my belt. Um, because the insert's coming in the mail. I just got the shipping notification. So now I can take that little box and put it in the big box and be done. So it was a good excuse to get it oh, started. That always feels good. And try it, yeah. That, that ADD organization. Oh, I love it. It's oh, this is so. It's like this little box that just sits there. And it's like, ugh. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't like it. So I, I got the insert coming. Uh, I, there's actually, I think, a second expansion as well. And the insert will hold that. Um, but because this nice. one expansion just sits out here like a sore thumb, I didn't get the second one that might poke at me to go buy the second expansion. But Abyss, I think, um, again, it was an older game, you know, I guess older as far as like the hobby's concerned, but like, not like ancient, but, um, it's got a lot of praise from what, um, that again, which is why I picked it up in the first place. Um, they've actually done a smaller version of it or a smaller version in the same universe as Abyss in like a little small card game. It's called like Abyss something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, what was your first one? So I played Vagrant Song a lot, but I'm going to save that for last because it's the longest one I'm going to talk about. I got some games at uh, Target because they had a buy two get one free sale recently. And I picked up one of the ones that I saw on Shut Up and Sit Down because they apparently influence all my board game buying. And that's a that's card game, a very small games. card game. What's that? That's all you do is buy their games. I, I feel like it uh, almost exclusively. Sad, but they're very it feels powerful. Like it. I mean, we just did the, 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 the dice game, War Chest. 
Yeah. Well, it's that, that accent that just lures me in. Sub, subliminal <laughs> something going on there. I don't know what it is. Must be in the T. So I picked up No Thanks, which is a card game. And we played it uh, myself, my wife, and my son. And I really enjoyed the simplicity of it. It is super, super simple, but a very uh, take that mechanic to it for sure. And wasn't a huge hit with my family because take that's not necessarily something we enjoy too much or I do, but everybody else doesn't. So there's a little bit of luck involved too with the cards that get pulled out of the deck. So essentially you have a deck of cards. Uh, there's numbers, I think, from three to 35. And the object of the game is to have the least amount of points at the end. And so you'll deal out a certain number of cards or sorry, you have a deck of cards and the first player flips over the first card. Uh, and then decides if they want to keep it or if they don't. They, if they don't, they say no thanks and they put one of these little black chips on it. And you start with, I think, a three-player game, 11 of these black chips. Uh, putting a chip on the card basically means you pass and it goes to the next player and they have the option of taking it or passing. And it just goes around like this until the player takes a player takes the card. When they take the card, they get the black chips and those black chips are worth negative points at the end of the game. So they actually help you. So it's a balance between what you pick and what you keep in terms of – or what you pick and what you pass on in terms of cards and chips. The other twist to the game is that if you get numbers in a row – so let's say I have 14, 15, 16, 17 – I only count the lowest number towards my score at the end. So you're trying to set stuff up like that. Also, other players are trying to prevent you from setting stuff up like that. And then at the beginning of the game, nine cards are randomly pulled out of the deck. So you don't know if the cards you need to complete your set, let's say – uh, is even available. So very interesting, very fun, very fast to play. Um, that take that mechanic is definitely in it. I think it would work well for our group because we like to, you know, dick each other around and be mean sometimes in a, in a cordial way. So it definitely is something I think we should try to play at some point in time. And knowing how fast it is, it's probably one of those good ones to end the night with. So when you, when you sent me the picture of you getting it and I was like, Oh, I can't wait to play that. After you've just described it, I've played this game so many times. Like, <laughs> um, I just either forgot like what it was called. Um, but this is a super fun game. Uh, yes, it I is. I've always enjoyed it. Um, this comes. Uh, this game uh, is one that is in my uh, my wife's cousin's collection. And when we go on vacation, this one always you know comes along. And, and that's where I've played it. And I've played it for several years now, uh, on, on our vacations. And it is, uh, I've always enjoyed this game. And I, I don't find that I, I like the take that in this one as well. But again, maybe you and I are just, you know, horrible. I people, like it, but I don't think my family likes it. <laughs> that's the big like, difference. I mean, it's not arboretum level of take that or like, no, I agree. level. Like it's not that like, yeah. I mean, it's take right. that for a card game. You know what There's I mean? still like, enough, though. This, I get this it. household I get does it. not tolerate it. So I do we need it, to but... change our, our podcast name to Play Games Lose Family? Yeah, actually. Maybe that's more <laughs> accurate. Nice. I'll always have you guys there to play games with, but they usually tell me no when I pull out something like that. So you're probably right. Nice. All right. What what did you get next? So sticking with the – and I guess I was in this nautical, oceanic kick. So I was going to say you almost out. have the trifecta of, of water games. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't have Atlantis Rising, right? As the third one. <laughs> but uh but Aquatica, again, it um I have uh, you know the expansion. I've heard you don't you don't want to play the base game without the expansion, but I always like to try it out first. 
Um, so, uh, this one is unique in sort of its mechanics and it's got like a, a little bit of that Libertalia feel where you all have the same cards and you choose, uh, what character to play when, right? But you all have the same, you know, starting cards. Um, but then you can, uh, recruit more cards and there are goals that get set out in the game. And you want to be the first person because as you complete a goal, the points go down. Uh, you know, they, they descend, you know, I think it starts at eight points and then goes to like three or whatever. It's like, gets really low. Um, so you, it's a, it's a little bit of a race type feel cause you want to get those goal spots, but, um, there are other, uh, ways to score in this game. Uh, and again, I, it's weird. I think we're going to be talking about this a little later, but you know, you talk about, you know, some of the, the component quality, uh, you know, and Aquatica has these little mana rays that are your sort of, uh, they're like, uh, your, your mitigation turns where you can either, yeah. uh, you know, do more, um, sort of conquering or you can gain more sort of abilities. Um, you can get more to your, to like the coins in the game. And then those are really cool. Cause then you can, you know, use those to manipulate your, your board. Um, and then your board cards that you get also have unique abilities. It, it's just, uh, it sounds a little muddy. Um, just because there's a lot going on. However, it's very s- simple and very streamlined. Once you see, you know, and you can start to see how it goes, you're like, oh, I do this to then do this, which then lets me do this. So it's got that little bit of combo, not necessarily engine. I wouldn't go as far as call it an engine, but it's got a combo sort of feel to it. And, uh, you have to get these, uh, these little, t- I guess they're not necessarily towns or whatever, but they're like, uh, sort of points of interest that you need to get them to score. So you have to use the abilities to score them. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can move them up faster to get to the score, but then you have to play an actual scoring icon, uh, which is like this little treasure chest. And then you can put that card aside. So it's the goals at the top and then the, you know, the goals of the, uh, or the point totals of the different sort of lands that you were able to score. And it's, again, it was, it's one I've had for a while. I've heard nothing but good things and like it's different enough than anything else I have. So I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I own this. So now the next step with this one is to, you know, try it with the expansion. The theme or the, the aesthetic of that game always intrigued me, but I never looked into gameplay whatsoever. So I'm curious. I might borrow that from you sometime just to check it out. Yeah. It's, um, again, it's super neat. And, you know, I, of course I'm a sucker. So I have a couple of like the promo characters. <laughs> um, so like at the beginning of the game, you'll, you could either, um, you sort of almost like, uh, if you remember the, uh, uh, how you deal out the wonders and seven wonders where you give someone multiple, they choose one and the rest get discarded. Yeah. So you each get like one unique character that, that, you know, you just, you, you, you're dealt two or three, you pick one, you discard the rest. And that's, that's the one thing that separates your hand from everybody else is your one character until you start, you know, adding more characters to your, um, to your deck. And then when you recruit a character, um, I believe you get them in your hand to start. Um, but then once you play them, it goes in the discard pile. And then there's actually a character that allows you to pick up your discard pile. So it's kind of cool and doing it the right time, you know, with the right abilities. So yeah, again, it's, it's, it's thinky enough, but I think simple sort of to teach because it's it's not that complicated it, it looks it looks intimidating like when you set it up and you're like uh and then the iconography but you pick it up pretty quick cool we'll have to check it out 
So my uh, my other one, I got to play some long shot again, uh, this time solo. And I haven't tried it yet, but there's a pretty decent solo mode in it. And it was actually really fun. I like that game a lot. I'm looking forward to when our group finally gets to play because I think everybody's going to enjoy it. But the solo mode was actually pretty fun. You get a separate sheet, uh, different from, you know, your normal player dashboard. And when you roll the dice, so there's a color die and a numbered die, there's a basically a chart that, that maps out what the result should be. And if you can't perform the action in that, that particular cell, it'll tell you to default to the default action at the bottom. And so it's fairly competitive. I smashed them the first game, but second game, the dice are a little bit less favorable for me and, um, ended up almost tying. I think I won by like three points. So. That's actually a pretty fun little solo game for a roll and write, and uh, I'm really excited to play some more with a group, though. I think that game's just – higher player counts is just so much fun with all the you know messing around you can do with each other with respect to horse positioning and, and uh, you know getting bets in, and it's just such a really fun, solid little roll and write. One complaint I do have with it, though, and I think we're going to see this when we play, is the more people you have, the more – it's almost like a basketball game. Like the last two minutes of the game last 25 minutes because people are just going to be using <laughs> those horse bonus powers from the concessions to just move the horses around everywhere back and forth and back and forth. So, but other than that, that game just really fun. It's just really fun. Yeah. I, I enjoyed. Did we play one? Did we play twice or just one time? You and I just played uh, once. Okay. Yeah. Cause we jumped into class. I definitely wanted to run it back because I, I didn't like, I, <laughs> I like how hard I am on myself when I play a game for the first time. Yeah, and then you gotta I stop that. <laughs> and then I'm like, all right, I gotta play it again. And then it's like, we can't. I'm like, ah, oh. yeah, because it's uh, good. It's good. I, you know, to quote our buddy, it's it's always better the second time. That's right. He's not wrong. So no, he's not. Uh, and then my last non-game night game uh, was Runestones. Uh, and Runestones this looked interesting. Was a Kickstarter from 2019. And again, so I've had it for many years. It was. I at least had it open and punched and ready to go. Maybe most of the components, but not everything. Like the cards were still in shrink and stuff when I opened <laughs> the box. Um, but this one, uh, how do I even just, there's just so much uniqueness in this game where it's got, it's got aspects of a lot of games that I like and then it mixes them together, uh, very nicely. So like it's got that like splendor type vibe where you're collecting resources that then allow you to buy other things. Um, you purchase cards um, based on the cards that you play. So you're going to be, you know, you know, creating and building your deck. Um, and then you get these when you, once you get all of your, I don't know what they're called, artifacts or crystals of power or whatever they're, they're called. When you can, at any point, you can uh, wipe your board to get victory points and then once you get once you do that as a follow up action on that you get to choose a special power that's unique to your character so for example like you could get six cards instead of a hand of four you could um and this is this is the one thing i really like about this game that i found was very good so you uh you could play the actions of two cards so you play two cards and they all have a point value on them like so for example one is 12 and one is 41 so when you play those two, you do the actions of both of those cards, but then you have to kill the highest number. So that goes to the discard pile of like, like remove from your game or from your deck. And then you get to, you know, recycle the low number. But then okay. one of the special powers that you can unlock if it shows up in the game 
is you can do the reverse where you can pitch the low numbers instead of the high card. So now you're sort of strategically building your deck either to, you know, fuel the, fuel it with high power cards. Um, and again, the cards are so random. Like there's some, you know, powerful stuff in the seventies, but then there's really high powerful stuff in the elevens. Like it's crazy the amount of uniqueness of these cards. Um, again, another special ability is instead of when you play two cards, you can do one of them twice, or you can do, you know, one card twice. You don't need to, it doesn't matter the other one. And then you still follow your normal rules of pitching and keeping. And you just start out with a, a basic hand of six cards, I think six or eight or something like that, that are like you, not necessarily unique, but they have your character on them and you're, you're racing to 65 points. Now there could be some, uh, scoring that would boost you over the edge once someone hits the 65 mark or there's like a little cardboard throne that you hit. And, and then you just see who has the most points and, and they win. But it's, um, just getting to that and racing to that. The tension of that is so much fun. And there's two expansions, um, which is actually how I got the base game was I backed one of the expansions on Kickstarter. And then you can add on the other games. And, uh, so I'm yet to get those played, but, uh, someone I think on Instagram came back to us when I posted, you know, the, the footage or the, the pictures from the, the game. Uh, they were really complimentary on, on one of the expansions. So I'm excited to try that. So I guess my three games all have like a theme in a way. Like they all have expansions I haven't played. I haven't played them <laughs> ever. And, you know, there's more to go. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one way to get through the backlog of things that are still shiny with cellophane is bust them out, unpack them, get them to the table, just try. Do they all have solo modes? Um, I don't. I think I, Aquatica definitely had a solo mode, because that's the one I did solo. Um, okay. Just to get the mechanics down. Uh, Abyss does not, and Runestones also does not. Okay. So it's more just like mechanics learning and hopefully get it to the table with more people soon. Yeah. But again, these are, as silly as it sounds, I wouldn't, I, I would not not recommend any of those three. They were all solid, fun games. Um, I know Queen Games got a lot of, sort of negative press when this one was around in 2019 because they had so many campaigns out, out, you know, out in the ether, which again made me a little nervous, but it's like I went to Toy Fair one year. I got to meet the people at Queen Games. So it's like, I don't think they're just going to, you know, sort of not deliver, but, uh, it was good. I, I really, I'm, I'm happy with these three games. Cool. We'll have to get them to the table. Guys set up another <laughs> two player night. Get in line. All right. right. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a line 400 miles long at this point. But that's okay. It gives us plenty to talk about and to share with all of you. All right. My third was a game I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Finally got it and finally got it to the table. And we have not stopped playing it since. And that is Weird's uh, Vagrant Song. So they've made several board games already. Um, I've never played any of them. But this one I had to have, and it's been very difficult to get. I got in on the second print run pre-order and managed to get my copy, what, it's got to be three weeks ago, roughly. Unboxed it. Um, the game is really, really cool. Component-wise, super nice. Um, they used acrylic standees instead of miniatures, which I think is going to be a trend we're going to start seeing a lot more of soon. Production value certainly saves on that. Uh, box space saves on that. And the art and screen printing on them, I'm holding one right now, my character, which is the uh, the revivalist, which looks like a prince on a bender. 
kind of heals everybody, but the screen printing on, on the standees is beautiful. Um, tokens are great. Board's great. Art's great. I would love to get art prints from this game. I don't know if any exist, but I'm going to try and hunt <laughs> them down because if I am going to have some art in this board game room at some point in time, this game's got to be on the list because it's just got such a unique, cool style. But the game itself is absolutely fantastic. It is scenario-based. Uh, it is a campaign-style game, so you're going to play a whole bunch of scenarios in succession. There is a narrative. So we talked in other episodes prior about narrative games just not hitting for me. We talked about Sleeping Gods right? last you're episode. You're quitting yeah. narrative games? Jaws of the Lion uh, before that, not really reaching out to me too much. Um, and I am going to give Sleeping Gods another try, which I did mention. But the narrative of this game is – very small in scope. And so you get, uh, you don't have that sort of grandiose expectation of a big breathing living world like you do in Sleeping Gods or like I did in Sleeping Gods. Um, and I also didn't really know what to expect from this game. I didn't really read a ton about it ahead of time like I did Sleeping Gods. I think that's teaching me a little bit of a lesson. Same thing with like movies and video games. Just don't spoil it for yourself. Just let yourself discover it through the, the wonder of play. And I think we've played. I want to say uh, roughly half the game now. Uh, the, it's broken up into parts, three three acts, let's say. And uh, it's very challenging. The mechanics are absolutely solid. The characters are fun to play. The haints, which are basically the bosses that you battle, because this is kind of a boss battler, are completely different for every single fight in such a massive way. Um, some of them have basically a health pool that you have to drain. They call it humanity. So you're basically giving the ghosts or the haints back their humanity and they're trying to take yours away. Some of them don't have it. It's completely different mechanics. Uh, we played a game recently with a character called the Tommyknocker and without spoiling it, I'll just say you don't do damage to the Tommyknocker. You beat him in a different way. So every single thing about this game so far has blown me away. Uh, we we look forward every night to playing it, which I can't say I've other than Dice Turn Adventures recently, there's nothing I've really come across that we've been like super pumped to get to the table and play every single day this absolutely hits that button really hard for us um so i'm very excited as this gets more press as as it becomes more available for folks to discover this because this is probably at this point in time and I, I don't know if the official release date was 2021 or 2022 but board game geek has it as 2022 i believe but this is my game of the year so far it is that good and i think you in particular and our group, too, when we get to play it, if we do, uh, is just going to love it. It's so good. So good. So that's my third game. And we're, like I said, halfway through. It's going to be at least a few more weeks of this. And I'm looking forward to every single playthrough. Yeah, this one, again, I think I mentioned it. You know, it was a toss-up between this yep. one and uh, Townsfolk, Townsfolk Tussle. Tussle. Yeah. Um, and again, you might you might be able to own both, right, in a way. But they're... Very similar from what I could tell on the surface, right? The, um, the gameplay style, you know, the, the, obviously the art is very similar, but, um, you know, and again, I, I, I want to try it and just compare and contrast the differences, which would be kind of neat yeah. down the road. I think the, the, I don't know enough about Townsfolk Tussle, but this game got me, uh, with the mechanics. I, I was a little concerned when I saw kind of how basic, like you unbox it and it's like a, a board with three train cars. There's some terrain tokens. There's some objective tokens and there's a little bag to pull tokens out of. And then you just get some ability cards on your character dashboard. There's not much to it. And so it was a little disarming at first to see that and be like, where's the game here? And the game is 
really driven forward by this narrative of you in this train with these ghosts. Uh, it just becomes really interesting. And then there's a lot of little side things that they stuck into the game. There's something called the in-between deck, which doesn't really have a huge outcome on the game, but it has some outcomes in the individual scenarios and everybody has to pick a different path. So there's a lot of, um, you know, uniqueness and distinction to this game that I haven't seen in a lot of other titles from a narrative perspective. So, and weirds, I don't know if, if a lot of folks out there who listen to the show have played any weird board games or if you've played Malifaux or the other side, which is their miniatures games. Um, they have a really weird, sick sense of humor and, and, uh, very fascinated in the macabre and, and steampunk death machines and all kinds of just weird stuff, hence the name. So they're, they've, they've hit a home run with theme with this one too. And someday if we ever get the chance to review it, I might exceed a five because this one just is dripping with theme. So I'll stop gushing about it. But if you have the opportunity, dear <laughs> listeners, to get a hold of a copy of Vagrant Song, I highly, highly recommend you do so. Definitely see if you can play with two. You could even solo this for sure. You could solo it. But I think two players is fantastic. Four has got to be a lot of fun too. So don't miss up on this. Uh, it's, it's fantastic and definitely my game of the year so far. Yeah. And again, just right off the bat, I mean, the one difference, obviously, Townsville Tussle has, uh, I'll do air quotes, story. You know, it's, but it's only four, you know, sort of four phases and then the game's over. Yeah. Right. Where this one seems like it's obviously longer than that. Um, yeah, there's and, a big, big um, scenario book, and I think you go through the whole thing. Okay. It's looking that way. Yeah, so I mean, sure. yeah, I mean, right, there's a big gap, you know, between that, you know, but yeah, I don't think Townsville Tussle wanted to do that, but maybe that's something down the road. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I know you talked about another reprint with an expansion coming, so maybe they're supposedly more on that's top rumor. of that. Yeah. Well, I hope it's true, because I'd like to play that at some point, too. <laughs> it looked like Yeah, fun. we got to get that one. All right. So let's so hop game over. Night. Let's hop over to game night. Yeah, we got a game night in. Uh, what? Not this last week. Uh, uh, time. Uh, time hurts me. Last week. Two weeks ago. No, last a week, week ago. Last Tuesday. Last week. And uh, <laughs> we got we got three games in. We had our buddy Joe bring his copy of Moonrakers, which we, he picked up at PAX, and we got to play Search for Planet X, which is Ken's favorite game of all time. And then we also played a game that uh, one of our listeners is or, – or someone that knows the podcast referred us to their game called Survive. So why don't you start with Survive since it was our, our quickest playthrough? Yeah. So uh, again, you know, Chris reached out to us on Instagram after, you know, just sort of, again, listening a little bit. Him and I went back and forth on, on a couple different topics. And it is a, an upcoming game that will be coming to Kickstarter later this year. And, and again, just as, as sort of starting out in this and, you know, they're starting out, this is their first design or his first design. Um, you know, we just, you know, decided to, you know, keep talking and keep the conversation going. So, uh, and then, um, we got the print and play files and uh, honestly, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot in this game. And then, you know, he, I just asked if, you know, if he had any prototypes, um, because just the amount of trees and the amount of ink <laughs> that we were going to go through. Because, <laughs> um, again, there's a lot in this game. Uh, or a lot of uh, components. Not, not necessarily components, but there's a lot of content in this game. Um, yeah. And basically, it is... It, it's, a, it's a... I'll put it in that sort of party category. Or that party genre of game. And you... 
basically you get uh so that it comes down to I think there's five there's five themes um that you can choose from. So it's politics, science, uh environment, religion, and I'm sorry, the fifth one's escaping me. But and you deal out three cards to every player and then you go around the table and someone starts and they will read one of the scenarios described on the card. And then there's a pause and you determine who at the table would be the first person to perish in that scenario. And then after everyone is accused or after the accusation phase is, is complete, anyone who was accused has a moment to sort of defend themselves, try to deflect uh, why they wouldn't be the first or to throw another person under the bus at the table uh, to try and convince the people who accuse them of picking someone else. Because I think you have, what, 25 life total? You have 25 lives, yep. I guess, to go through in this game. And the the goal is uh, to be the last person standing uh, at the table. And then after you have the defense phase, there's one more accusation phase, and then that's when you lose the lives. Um, again, I think we – I mean, I know. I mean, we had some laughs. I mean, there were some crazy scenarios. From what we were told by the design team, some of these scenarios that are in some of these cards were actually legit real-life things that happened to the, the people <laughs> or the people's friends. It wasn't the nuclear meltdown. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe the that puma or the bear one. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but, um, but again, we, you know, we enjoyed it for what it was. Um, and again, we didn't go through all, uh, I think there, again, it was five, five different, uh, sort of theme decks, if you will. And again, if this sounds like your sort of type of style game, look for it. We'll, we'll keep it, uh, we'll keep talking about it when, you know, as it gets closer to their launch and Kickstarter. Um, and again, if this sounds like something you'd be into, you know, support them. Yeah, it definitely had that party game feel. And party games are tough for, for me. Um, there's so many of them out there and so many of them fall flat. I do think this one with the right group, we, we said it a couple times we were playing with the right group of people and enough beers, like this could get pretty funny. But I think you got to have the right group for this game. I think you have to have a, a, a group of people who really know each other. Um, otherwise, I think it has that personal touch to it that, that is almost required for the game to be truly funny and fun. Um, but I think they have a good idea. And as long as they keep developing, you know, what they've got, I think they're going to be able to sell some copies and get some folks to play this, you know, in their own little inner circles. Cause there's some laughs there for sure. Yeah. And I think if anything, you know, on that point, the only person that had an advantage at that table was you, right? Because, um, you know, you know, you know, like, you know, the three of us better. Then we, I mean, we only know one or two people at the table, like that level, or at least only one, right? And it's you, right? So, because again, I didn't know Joe was a marathon runner, right? And I made that joke about, I think I can outrun him. You know what I mean? Like, well, he says he is. And he's like, how many, yeah, how many marathons have you run? I'm like, none, but I, I've been running about, <laughs> running from things my entire life, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think the uh, the so, knowing people matter so much when someone says, "Yeah, I'm just going to carve a bunch of sticks into uh, spears and defend myself." That that answer was yeah, so was poor. A lot of, yeah, yeah. If you can't come up with a good defense, you're going to die. <laughs> like that's just you know. So <laughs> that was pretty good. But yeah, definitely, we want to you know thank Chris for uh, you know working with us, sending us the prototypes. Yes, thank um, you. Of the different games, uh, obviously, like I said, there'll be my you know, more to come. You know, as they get closer to launch, um, 
So it won't be the last you'll hear of Survive the Game. Yeah, and if you out there listeners have game ideas that you're working on or know somebody else who is and you want us to take a look at it before it gets to Kickstarter or production or whatever, shoot us an email at playgamesloosefriends at gmail.com and uh, we'll take a look. And if it's something we're interested in, we'll try to get it on the show for you. All right, so let's talk Space Clue. We had Do Bad, <laughs> our friend Brad, who we call Do Bad, did so poorly in our first game of Space Clue, so the search for Planet X, we call it Space Clue, that, well, I should say you call it Space Clue and now it's stuck for the rest of us. Uh, he had such a poor showing the first time we played that he wanted to get that game out on the table again. So I humored him and we played, that was the first thing we played on game night. And it's safe to say, Brad, round of applause and a burp. Uh, yeah, he, he got more than better. four. <laughs> he got more than four points this time. And I managed to guess Planet X before any of you and I still lost. So that game's going to stay on the shelf for a little bit because I'm pissed at it now. But that was fun. Uh, I enjoyed watching your exasperation all night, especially when I said I was going to guess for Planet X and then decided not to do it the first time. I could just immediately see the look on your face and you look down at your sheet and you're like, what the – how? What? <laughs> like I just love that. I love that look on people's faces when you're like almost confident that you know something like that or even like the dwarf plan or whatever and everyone else is just like, how in the hell do you know where that is already? Yeah, I don't know what it was. I just – again, I scored pretty good points, right? Like I think I was yeah. up there, right? And you won the last time you like, played, didn't you? Yeah, I won the last time. And then this <laughs> one, I was like – I didn't know where Planet X was, but I knew enough of the other pieces to get those 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 points at the end, right? Re regardless of Planet X. And I don't know. I just – I don't know. The second time around for me, I don't know. I don't know if I just wasn't feeling that type of game or I was just I living think that high off. Living high off the first time we played, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I you think know, my that, space I think hippo that wasn't game, with us, but didn't help. I think you're. I think you're right about the situation. Situationality of wanting to play. Like, I think you have to be in a mood to play a deduction game. I think that's a very astute observation on your part. That's not something that I'm always in the mood for. I think you have to be in the mood for a deduction game. And maybe I'm just don't like those kind of games. I don't know. I mean, you you play it though, and you play it well. So it's almost like you, even if you don't like it, you're just like out of spite. Like I'm going to beat these bastards because I don't want to play this anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't like losing either. Like I, I want to give it the best shot. You know, like because I don't think yep. again if you no, you don't I play to you. lose. Like I don't know. I just you know, but I don't know. I just maybe it was just my mode and my mood on that one this time. And again, that's not a knock at the game. You know, I, I think. I mean, there's a lot of people that really, really love this game. And um, it, you know, just again, is more situational, I guess, for me. Do you think theme affects it for you? Maybe. I, 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 I don't know why I get messed up with the iconography in this game so much. Like, <laughs> I know it's so clear. It's so, it's plastered everywhere. Like, you, sh I shouldn't mess up, but I always mess up like the first two turns of this game. And then I I just couldn't – I don't think I could recover this time around like I did the first time, you know? And then I was just mad at myself for being dumb. You know? Every turn matters. It definitely yeah. matters in this game. You're right. Yeah, because, again, I felt like I was two turns behind most of the people, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You seem to have a pretty good clear – like your scoring didn't indicate otherwise. I think the only difference was you didn't know where Planet X was, but you had a pretty good picture of the board in general. Yeah, and I was close. Like I was yeah. like a turn – again, maybe a turn – Maybe two tops again. Those two turns I screwed up. You know, like yep. you know, the, like for example, like 
I'll give I'll, I'll I will I will tell you my first screw up of the game. So what is it? The comet that's on only specific you know quadrants, yes. right? Is the comet? Yep. <laughs> so uh, now, granted, I guess there's only two comets in the game, so there was a chance this might have been a good play. <laughs> but like, I basically did a research or a search for the skies on the all the quadrants that actually had a freaking comet on the board. <laughs> and it's like, yes, there's a comet there. I'm like, oh god, I'm so dumb. Like, no shit, there's Is a the comet sky there. Blue. Yeah, like, <laughs> so that was one time I was like, all right, I'm just maybe I was just mad at myself for being so dumb that first play. That was like the first play. I'm like, I'm gonna search for comets. Oh, I'm only gonna pick the squares with comets. Of course, there's a comet there. Well, thanks. That doesn't help at all. So, yeah, not a, not a good foot to put forward for that game for sure. <laughs> but. uh you know, next time we play Lesson Learned in two years. But I got to be Colonel Mustard in space again, so I appreciate that. Yep. Space Hippo made an appearance. And so Space, space Hippo, Hippo joined us. Yeah. So my daughter has these, uh, like, realistic animal toys. And Ken, when we were playing Oath, took a uh, a hippo, and what was the other one? It was a weasel. A weasel. And would put the coins and uh, uh, secret the books, books with the weasel and the hippo as part of his, like, gameplay and I had thought that we had donated those toys because she just doesn't play with them anymore, that we had donated those toys or gave them to a friends or something. And lo and behold, my wife digs them out of the basement. So now Space Hippo is back. I don't know where the weasel is, but at least you have your hippo back. So it is in the, yeah, uh, the slide-out drawer. What's that? Fifty <laughs> percent's not bad. Yeah, yeah. So you've got at least one animal. All right. We've, we're like almost 45 minutes in this episode and we haven't even gotten past the first segment. So let's talk oh, we might about – We might have to cut something. <laughs> Let's talk about Moonrakers. Uh, Joe finally got it to the table again. Congratulations, Joe. Uh, we asked him to bring it along and we got to play. We talked about this a little bit before from our PAX recap episode, but basically it's a deck builder themed in space where you're a building a ship for yourself with ship parts um, and also a hand of car or deck of cards that you basically play that represent different portions of your ship. So booster or thrusters, um, you know, damage from guns, whatever. Uh, pretty solid Shields deck builder. Yeah, pretty solid deck builder. Um, there's a heavy cooperative element to it, which normally when I see games that say competitive co-op mixed together, I immediately say no, because there's very, very few games that do it well and do it right. I think this one does it well and does it right. I don't disagree. I think this is the only... I mean, again, it, it takes... That Munchkin, right? Munchkin tried it, but again, yes. eventually you don't need to do it in Munchkin, right? And and you don't need to do it often in Munchkin enough, I guess. And this, it is a core element of success for anyone in this game. You need to work together. You need to work with at least one you other. Wheel sometimes and all all players. But again, you got to be careful because there's people that can screw a mission up or or say, "Hey, I want to do this," you know. So it's got that little bit of tension to it, which I like. Um, but yeah, to your point, I don't think there's any other game that does co-op slash competitive as good as this game does. Um, I would agree. It's solid. Um, it's such I a think solid the big, game. The big thing that, that sways it for me 
in the in the sense of doing it right is that the starting deck has a a card in it it's a blue card i cannot remember what the hell it is anymore but basically it allows you to play more cards on your turn because playing a card is considered an action and your deck is very very limited in these to start the game and there's very not i wouldn't say few ways but there aren't many ways to add more to your deck and so that's a big reason why cooperation is basically required because you're all in the same boat there. You're all sort of limited with that starting 10 cards to how much you're capable of doing. And the only way to get any more is through successful missions that you undertake. And to do that, you have to ally. So it's almost built into the game from the start. And as it gets further along, you may increase your, you know, your deck to be more powerful from a energy usage standpoint or an action standpoint or a draw standpoint, but you're never going to get them all. And that's where that sort of um, cooperative portion of it sticks into your your gullet there. You have to be able to use others to make things work. And there's a big caveat when I say the word use. I mean use. You can actually purposely fail missions to screw people over. So there's still some of that munchkin-ish type of yeah. take that involved. But you're, you're right, and I think I, I agree 100%. This is one of the very few games I've played. First of all, it's a deck builder, a little bit of an engine builder. Mostly a deck builder. I, I like that portion of it, of course, but throwing a cooperative element in there is very, very risky, but this game pulls it off somehow. So again, yeah. props to Joe for purchasing this. This was a wise decision, and I'm glad we got a second playthrough. I'm actually looking forward to playing it again, even though we have so many other games to play. Some of the some of these ones we get, I, I just want additional cracks at because they're just very good. Yeah, I mean, I so in comparison, like the first time we played versus this time, um, I saw... Uh, a better value this time around with those with the um with the crewmates or the yep. minions or whatever they're called right um versus you know the ship parts now granted you know i started off good grabbing that ship part that got me an extra blue but like but i was so happy with the deck building aspect of this second playthrough but yet what hindered me was i couldn't get the good objectives like those little secret missions like, I didn't yeah. think I got, had a good enough secret missions where, like, that first game we played, I was, I had such good secret missions. I was clearing those left and right, but my deck just wasn't as good, but yet it still balanced out well, really nicely. And again, this was another close game, right? I think three of us were at the finish line and it could have been anyone's game. And again, I was one secret mission away or one good sort of. Uh, negotiation for completing a quest, but yeah, I, 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 I really enjoy this game a lot. And for yeah, solid for how simple, in a weird way, how simple it is, right? Like it's not overly complicated uh, from a mechanic standpoint, from an iconography standpoint. Like it's pretty basic, but yet it's there's there's a lot of depth to it. Yeah, there's a bit of an elegance with play playing cards too. When you get a, a bigger deck and you're cycling through a lot of your deck and sort of planning out how to do everything, there's a lot of that decision tree stuff that comes in. So it's just well-designed. It's a well-designed game and it's fun. Um, and I think every time we play it, we enjoy it. I definitely think next time we get the opportunity to do like a, you know, a PAX type weekend, this is going to be on the menu because I think all four of us really dig it. That was Moonrakers. Yeah. I'm going to jump us into our beer review because I literally, we've, we spent almost 50 minutes talking about what we played. I drank almost the whole beer already. So before yeah, it's gone, let's, let's talk. I have <laughs> Joe, who, who has Moonrakers, also was a, a good brother-in-law and gifted me some sours he got uh, from a brewing 
company called Grim, which I've mentioned before. I've actually had their stuff on tap. Uh, this one is a, a dry hop sour called Telekinesis. And I had a couple other sours. He gave me a six pack, two of each type, and I drank them all. So sorry, folks, for drinking my review content ahead of time, but they were really good. So this one's uh, nice and tart. If you ever had dry hop sours, they have a little bit of that. It's almost not a bitterness like a normal hopped beer, like an IPA or a double IPA. It sort of adds this like piney dryness to the sour um, instead of that sort of wet, you know, uh, citrusy taste or, or fruit taste. So it's really good. I think Grimm's generally a very good sour brewery. Most of their gozas and sours are extremely good. So Grim Telekinesis, if you get the opportunity to give it a try, I love the can art. It, it's just it's like this weird abstract art like mc escher kind of weird stuff they just they do good work and i am also drinking a i guess a sour adjacent i am drinking a trogues a passion fruit tart ale Ooh. trogues is a local i guess local to pennsylvania or local local to us here right it was out of Harrisburg, near hershey like park that. hershey right um it's and a 4.5 beer it's part of their Tart Fruit series, um, and this was a new one. I never had their passion fruit. I've had some of their other tart ales before, but in reading it, I mean, and they've got, I guess it's uh, 15 pounds of per barrel of actual real fruit is uh, part of the brewing process. And it is a nice, refreshing, almost like a uh, an adult high C, if you will, <laughs> or an adult <laughs> Capri Sun. It's very nice. So that is the Passion Fruit Tart Ale. By Trogues. Have you ever done the brewery tour there? No. I've been wanting to go, and then we had a kid, so. Yeah. I, every time I'm there, I'm with but the soon. kids, so I haven't gotten to do the tour yet. But instead, I just go in the gift shop and buy all their sh- overpriced shit, so that's okay. <laughs> I'm literally drinking out of a Trogues pint glass now, and I've got a Nugget Nectar one over there. and Nice. What else? Uh, stickers, and I have a hat. and Yeah, they've gotten me for at least a good 150 bucks, but that's okay. The beer in the, yeah, the tap room uh, is cheap. I enjoy their beers. Uh, I really do. Yeah, that's a great place. If you're ever in Pennsylvania and you ever go to Hershey Park, Trogues is literally five minutes away from the park. They have amazing food and the beer is fresh and cheap. Like a Trogues beer at a bar, you know, not far from our places costs six to twelve dollars, depending on what it is, and it's like three fifty there. So right from the tap, very, very good. Highly recommend their stuff. So that's Grimm and Trogues, two very good breweries. Let's ta- uh jump into our topic now. So we wanted want to talk to or you about. Want to cut it? No, let's do it. Let's do it. Overproduction, okay. <laughs> overproduction in the board game hobby. What does that mean? So we were talking about this a little bit to pregame the topic, and I think we you broke it down in a really interesting way. I didn't really think about this. To me, overproduction is always like this game's got you know four thousand pieces of cardboard and four hundred minis and dice with diamonds in them, like just crazy overproduction, but. List the three ways you talked about it, because I thought that was a really interesting way to approach the idea of overproduction in the hobby. So I'll try to, you know, please um, correct me if, if I'm missing any. But uh, again, uh, in, in our hobby, we see a lot of what's known as a deluxification uh, style of production. Um, we've got almost sort of artisanal uh, production. Um, and then I think there's just sort of that not necessarily negative, but it's almost a just a bloat of of overproduction uh, in, in in what it is that it's giving you that maybe is unnecessary um, for the game and the gameplay. 
You, you say artisanal, and all I can think of is like a, a guy named Geppetto just handcrafting and handplaning meeples <laughs> for games in some like wood shop in in Switzerland at the top of a mountain. Well, but I mean, look at the. But there are games that there are game publishers that do that that I would consider sort of that artisanal. Um, I guess Geppetto's always going to have a job then. Yeah, I mean, I mean, am I? It's good in this economy. Say Stonemeyer falls into that category. Yeah, like I mean. And then so what's let, the company that does parks? Is that Keymaster? Keymaster, yes, I think so. Or is it Capstone? So, I forget. No, it's Keymaster. I think it's Keymaster. Right. So and key, just sorry that deluxification comment is is a good place yeah. to start. So is is deluxification of games something that we should be we should be hunting down for? It's tough. I this is such an interesting subject to me because. I pay for it. I pay for deluxification of games. I bought Dice Throne token upgrades from Board Game Geek. I buy, um, you know, metal coin upgrades for Scythe, like things like this. We don't need them in our games. We just don't. We don't really need, but we buy them anyway. At least those of us who are like really heavy into this hobby. Is it good or is it bad? Like it's more money for the publishers. It's more money for the designers. Well, maybe not the designers. I don't even know if it goes towards them or not, but like, is this a good thing for the hobby or are we just like, are we only doing this to be self-effacing in a way? Well, <laughs> it's weird. Um, I see both. So when it comes to like, for example, like Kickstarter, um, what I like about it is there are two play, right? And it does hit both uh, audiences. So you'll like Radlands was a good example, right? They had a base game yep. pledge was like, what, under $30, right? Like, and then like, the deluxe version came with a different box, play mats, and an upgrade to those, the six water token or the nine, right? Nine tokens, right? So, and the price point again was, I think, significant enough that there are people that don't need and don't care about the deluxification of a game. Just give me your game. I'm going to play it. Or maybe it's a financial thing, right? Where they have backed so many games or they've bought so many games or maybe they're on a fixed income. And they can't, you know, justify that extra purchase of value. Right. Um, but then I think there are people, I guess I've made a comment a couple of times, like I've always questioned, like, ah, do I need the deluxe version? But then I've never been disappointed when I get my deluxe version and I open it. I, f I can feel, I can see, I can oh, almost smell and taste the, the extra effort or the extra so you know, do eat sort of the chips and knew of, it. <laughs> you know, of, of these deluxified versions. I mean, I, now again, I don't, do, it's, how do I put this? It's also situational, right? And, and it's different for publishers. Like again, Radlands, I thought the value was, was good and it was worth the extra. And you know me, I'm not a big playmat guy. I rarely buy playmats. Uh, I, I, but something about maybe it was just having that art and that more of that sort of theme of Radlands on the table. But but now that we've played it, it's like I almost would not play it without playmats. It needs that to a degree. I mean, it doesn't need it, right? But it helps having the columns and having the the, the space for it. You know, or you get people that make a messy tableau and then it just dri drives me bonkers anyway, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, um, but like. There are certain games that I didn't buy the deluxe because I didn't think there was enough value 
or I didn't think it was worth what was different between the pledges. So I think it also comes down to it's a, it's a bit subjective too. What you find is valuable, um, or or what you feel like you really can't live without. And again, uh, they typically don't drop like the exclusive stuff that much, but sometimes it is, and and that becomes a, a FOMO, you know, a lesson in FOMO. You know, like Honey Buzz was a good example, right? Yeah. Like the two versions of Honey Buzz, do you need them? No. But if you get them and you could get them, are you happy? Did Ryan back Absolutely. them? Goddamn right I did. Right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, but then it's like, you've got games like, you know, our publishers like Seamont, right? Um, who they'll throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. Do you need it all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But some of the games which we'll talk about later, you know, you end up getting everything, <laughs> whether you need it or not, you know, but other ones, you know, you don't need to. Sometimes it's yeah. just the base. Like, yeah, <clears throat> I, I think, you know, sticking uh, with the SEMA, I mean, like Zombicide was a good example, right? So up until, so what was it? Um, sorry, I just had to turn around and look at my Zombicide shelf. So basically, um, when I I got everything from season two, season three, Black Plague, and then I sort of stopped. And then they came out with second edition Zombicide. And that was probably the first time I ever did sort of base with Simon. Because I didn't need everything. I have tons of Zombicide. I didn't see the value in going all in on second edition. I definitely wanted to have the upgrades for everything that I've purchased prior. You know, so I bought that add-on. But I just, but I had to, you had to get the base game. So it's like, okay. That's fine, but I got out of that. I think unscathed when it came Z- to my wallet. Zombicide, you know what I mean? Zombicide's a good example of the second part of this discussion. I think, which is, I think the industry found a way, and maybe not all publishers or all developers, whatever, fit into this, but they found a way to meld games, playing games, and having games, and you know, models and tokens and everything comprising a game, and meshed it well with the collector. Uh, what do I want to say? Not addiction, but sort of, uh, weakness that some of us have where if we're yeah, buying a copy of, yes, yeah, if we're buying a copy of something, we want to get the copy that's got the stuff that the other people don't have and that whole FOMO thing. And that merging of games and that collector model of, of gotta catch them all, gotta collect them all type thing has pushed the deluxification even further. Or, or should I should say overproduction and deluxification even further than probably anybody intended it to go because it's a good way to get that cash money from a, a Kickstarter or from a game. And I think that part, you know, the deluxification part situational, I, I understand that. I think you're right there. But that part where the overproduction starts to become this collector's addiction, then I think it's becoming a bad thing for the hobby. And I, I see too much of that happening right now, I think. Um, there's not, you know, there are things that you can put into a game or a game production that don't fit that collector's mindset, right? So I'm, we'll talk about it later, but I backed a game called Mercurial, <clears throat> excuse me, in Kickstarter, and, and that's coming, you know, next year or whatever. But some of the upgrades and stuff are basically like deluxification of some of the components, but then it's like insert stuff, right? It's better organization, things, things like that make sense to me. But then another example is like the Deep Rock campaign, Deep Rock Galactic campaign. If you do the biggest tier, you get a metal beer mug as an event tracker token. Like 
we don't need that. Like, we don't, we don't need that. <laughs> Am I getting it? Yeah, I'm getting it because I'm weak as a human and I want that and I love Deep Rock Galactic. <laughs> but like, that's a really good example of where overproduction is starting to cross a line between function and form and just straight up taking advantage of people who have heavy FOMO or, you know, are so into a particular IP or, or lore or story or theme or whatever or developer that they're just, They'll buy anything they put in front of them. Like you could have a plastic pile of diarrhea as your event token and people are going to be like, well, I really want that diarrhea because I'm not going to be able to get it any other way unless I make my own. So I don't know. I think that's the second part of You're the of it. first person to ever use the, uh, I want diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. Well, Race. you know, someone's going to do it eventually. There's going to be some game. Maybe we could be the first. That's our, we'll do a game about diarrhea. <laughs> I don't know what we'll call it. Just, photo finish. I, I got nothing. <laughs> Maybe photo finish. I don't know. So that, that those are the Turtle two head. things that <laughs> those are the two things that that came up to mind. The third one was the vastness of games today when it comes from a, a, a comes to a production standpoint. So I'm sitting here while we record and I'm looking at my my beautiful Calyx with its fine straight lines and shelves all over the you place. Stop talking about that. <laughs> and I'm looking at Ankh. Wonderful game, fantastic game. Eric Lang is a brilliant designer. Simon made a fantastic production. That goddamn game is taking up two shelves in this Calyx all by itself. There are one, two, three, four, five, six boxes, and I already threw out one of the boxes. So that would have been seven boxes for one game with one expansion and a bunch of models in addition to that. I just want to buy an army case to put everything in and get it off my shelves so I can put other games up there because it's taking up so much space. Did it need to have that much stuff in it? No. A good example is Ankh because when you play that game, you set up your your uh, gods and their troops and stuff, but then there's these guardians that you can get, right? They made more guardians. You only get three in a game. They made more guardians than we'll probably ever get to play the permutations of in that game. Like, it's just excessive. It's cool. Like, they have cool miniatures. They have interesting power, stuff like that. But is it necessary? No. So I think there's another thread to this conversation about when should a a designer or when should a publisher or whatever kind of draw the line in the sand and say, now we're getting to the point where we're getting excessive just for the sake of giving people more and charging more because I think that's becoming a real thing. Too. Yeah, I mean, and I I want to bring up the Marvel Zombicide too while I'm on this point in that goddamn Galactus. Well, I feel that way about Cthulhu Death May Die, right? Yeah. Like I I can go example. buy Cthulhu Death May Die at my local game store. The two it's still there. And if they run a special, maybe I will go pick it up. However, I almost don't want to buy it because I can't get that giant Cthulhu, right? And that was the whole thing with the Zombicide Marvel. Like, yeah, I can't justify another Zombicide game. I just can't. And I get it. They change it and they put an IP. I get it. But like, I just can't do that. Um, and I'm with you. I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my Simon shelves here, right? It's got the vast majority, you know, of my collections, it, you know, the most from that publisher. And, but yet, I'll be honest, I was able to sort of <laughs> stop at some point. Now, granted, I, they got a lot so out of me. So proud of you. Right. But I was able to stop, you know, and not do that anymore. Cause I just like, it just, I didn't get Massive Darkness 2. I still have all the Massive Darkness 1 that hasn't been played. Um, you know, I stopped that, 
you know, like I said, I, I got base pledge second edition just to get the, the upgrade cards for all of my stuff that I own for Zombicide prior to that. Um, I didn't get the second season of the Black Plague or the Green Plague or whatever it is with the, with the medieval zombies. Um, you know what I mean? Like I was able to say no to a lot of their stuff. You know, their wacky races game, I said no to. Those, uh, they did the, um, the Looney Tunes and the Scooby Doo. Again, they looked good, but I just, I couldn't do it again. I couldn't just buy all their stuff, you know? And there are people that still just sight unseen, all in, give it to me with Simon. And I, it's almost like Simon's into making Kickstarter campaigns rather than games, right? In a weird way. Um, but yeah. they know what they're doing prior. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's a couple things that get whipped up on the fly, but like they know what they're doing. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's part of what I'm getting at with this. And I just don't want to see you know, Simon's a known quantity with with this, right? We kind of know, but I just I, I don't yeah. want to see. I saw it with the Deep Rock campaign, and and I still backed it anyway because I I don't have. I mean, look at the Borderlands. It was the same way. Yeah. Yes, you it's know? it's starting to spread, and I'm not liking what I'm seeing there. I think it's just it's a model that a lot of you know you see this commentary on Reddit and on Board Game Geek and other places too that people are aware that this is happening and they're not fans of it. Those campaigns go on to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's a successful model; it works. It's not going to change. But I think we, as you know, stewards of the hobby and and people who are pretty active in the hobby and in the scene are starting to really speak up more about this and the overproduction part of it. And you're seeing some publishers, you know, the the Cascadia folks, um, I can't remember the publisher right now, AEG. Um, a lot of their games are it's- fairly minimal. And there's a lot of others that are trying to like scale back production costs, scale back usage of, of plastics or for, you know, plastic inserts and mod. Like there needs to be more of a groundswell in the other direction um, to kind of kill off that collector's addiction push and FOMO push that that these campaigns have. And from an overproduction standpoint, just to bring it back to our, you know, our topic, our theme of our topic, it's just got to at some point go away in a way, or at least start to scale back rather than scale in the other direction. Um, one other thing I wanted to note too, before we hop on to our review of a overproduced game, but <laughs> that we love anyway, uh, all the money that we spend on these gigantic campaigns, all the money that we spend on these extra models and all these deluxified components and Geppetto's beautiful hand carved, uh, uh, you know, meeples and sheeples and whatnot, we could buy more games. Like I didn't have to spend 70 bucks on a bunch of dice thrown editions. I could have gone and bought like, you know, uh, anything, another $70 game. But I didn't. I bought the upgrades. And so I think there's something to that too, whereas you as a gamer have to – and you mentioned this earlier. It's your decision. Where Where is your money going? Is it going towards more games for more experiences? Is it going towards making experiences that you have in these games a little better? Maybe that deluxification gives you a better you know, playthrough experience. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But um, that's just another thing to think about too. If you're looking at pressing the buy button on that $35 set of tokens from Board Game Geek, maybe don't do it. Maybe go pick up. Arboretum and and no thanks and some other ten dollar card games and you'll thank yourself for doing it. So just another thought there. All right, let's jump off that topic. That was a good discussion. I'm glad we talked about it, and I'm very curious to see where the hobby goes over the next couple of years as as board games continue to grow and potentially shrink back to because this has been a booming industry for the last three or four years. Let's get into well, our review. Go ahead. Just let me add one last point you know, yep. to your you know your final statement there. And again. Uh, and again, I know I'm in the minority, but you know, the, 
you know, the Simon sort of sickness. Um, you can see it every day on Kickstarter. Yeah. And unfortunately, whether your game is good or not, or you have something different or unique, sometimes you, <laughs> when you look at a Simon campaign, other people are just going to walk away and not go at you or not even give you a second look because they have so much sort of, um, <laughs> it's like know. a keeping up with the Joneses type thing. Yeah, and you don't need to do that. Like uh, that's the that's the part that bothers me. Like if you look at like what was it, uh, Deep Root Dwellers? We talked about it last one, right? Yeah, that was a very uh, good, unique game. Now again, the art was similar. We've seen the art style before in other games, and that's not still no, a lovely not a production. Knock. But again, it was well well done. It was unique mechanics. That I do not believe we've seen in any other game like it, and um, yet that is not getting funded. And then you've got this just plastic barrage of everything under the sun just being funded in minutes, right? Like it's just, yeah. It it and again, I think it's almost soured me to those types of games moving forward. You know, where I'll look more at a deep root, deep deep root dwellers, or you know, when we get to the game that I have. In my back column right now, it's not. It's not a. It, it's not necessarily a price point. It's a. I have tons of this other game. I have tons of that other game not being played. But yet you're giving me something different. You're giving me something truly unique. And I like again, Encyclopedia Earth. Like these are. They're not over crazy with that kind of stuff. And they were good, different, unique games. I, I don't know. That's just my last thought on it. But no, I think you're right. I think. <clears throat> And it's unfortunate because, again, how many games do we send back and forth that have cool minis or they're a narrative game and it's this big epic thing? Like, I just can't do it again, you know? Yeah. And the, it doesn't help that the price entry point is usually somewhere around $200, which is a pretty big commitment yeah, I for mean, a game, right? Like, I can go pick up oh, No Thanks for $10 at Target and I could play that for four hours and have a great time. Uh, or I could spend $200 on a Epic's brawling campaign style game and yeah i'll probably get a couple months worth of play out of it but i don't know is it worth that two hundred dollars is it worth all that storage and plastic it's hard to tell anymore and, and i think the pissing matches that happen between developers and publishers through kickstarter to one-up each other on campaigns and how much stuff you can fit into it and give give customers not a good thing it's just not i think you're a hundred percent right in looking at mechanics and design and uniqueness of mechanics and fun, right? It's not a lot of fun to set Ankh up. The game's fantastic. I love it. But God, I hate playing that game sometimes because of the setup. I, I tried to play with my son the other night, and we posted a picture of it on Instagram. And of course, he played for like 20 minutes, and he's like, yeah, I don't want to play anymore. I unpacked everything. I, I put all the minis out. Got to t like They become a chore, and it's it's just not a good thing, so... I don't want to dwell on it too much more, but that was a good topic. I wanted to talk about that for quite a while, so I'm glad we scratched the surface there. I think there's more. Maybe we can revisit oh, it Oh, that's definitely – we've got to go deeper. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. All right. Speaking of CMON and overproduction, our review tonight is for a fairly old but one of our all-time favorite classic games, and that is Arcadia Quest. Uh, this was released – again, Eric Lang has his chops in this one too – I don't even remember – I forgot to bring up the Board Game Geek page for this, but this was released quite some time ago, and we both own it. We both own several of the expansions, right? 
2014. So I ran the numbers. It has six <laughs> oh, no. expansions. It has six expansions. And by expansion, I also mean like a unique campaign aspect, right? Yeah. Um, and then there are four dragons. So it's got like, um, so it's got 10, <laughs> 10 extra things. And then, like I said, it's got plus six all the one off heroes, right? Well, yeah, I didn't, I don't, I couldn't find the number of heroes. I couldn't because then you have to include Mass Mora, right? Which yes. was like its step, step cousin, right? Where the ugly one. Um, I liked Mass Mora. I, I, I haven't know. played it. I might be the only one that liked Mass Mora. I don't know. I, I'm surprised um, by anyway. that because you and dice games just don't get along. <laughs> well, no matter what, you're still getting a bad guy when you roll the dice, so it doesn't matter, right? Like, <laughs> That's true. What bad guy you get, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. Um, and well, again, this was one of Simon's earlier campaigns. Um, it was um, again, I was already in. I think what zombie side? It was like right after one of the zombie sides, whether it was season two or season three, and. Uh, I, I went all in on the original Arcadia quest. Um, and I have since picked up all the heroes, all the promo heroes, the special ones they came up with. Um, and, and, and to my earlier point about the overproduction, I did not buy the Arcadia. What was it? Space, Space Cadia? What was the Star-cadia one? Starcadia quest. Starcadia quest. I did not back that. Fantastic I did not buy pun. that. I did not go in that. Um, because again, all you did, I, I get it. There was some changes mechanically or whatever. I, I get it. But at the end of the day, it is the same game. And instead of being uh, the medieval sort of Dungeons and Dragons, it's now Star Wars or, or Doctor Who or it's sci-fi. Okay. Yep. But the game is still the game. And I just was able to say no. To, uh, to Starcadia Quest. So I'll say that right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I only own the base game. I got some upgraded components for it. Hey, hello, Deluxification. And I have two of the dragons because I just wanted, I think I got them the first packs because I got a good deal on them and I just wanted to have them because they're cool. And then the, uh, the pets expansion for my kids and they have slopped paint on every model in that box. So it's literally unsellable at this point. Otherwise, I probably would have gotten rid of it by now because they don't play it. But you're right. There's a lot. There's a lot to Arcadia Quest. But for our our uh, sake tonight, we're just going to review the base game. I don't think we're going to add in all the expansions, but we'll, we'll talk about those a little bit at the end. Or I guess we won't because we kind of already talked about it here. But um, yeah. let's get into the review. So why don't you go first? So uh, if you're just this, if this is your first episode, we rate um, uh, on several categories. We uh, the first category's theme. We go into balance. We talk about fun. We get into the component quality. We have a replayability score. Um, they're all on a scale from one to five. Those all average out to a final score. And then as a bonus, as our episode or as our podcast is called, uh, will this game al- uh, allow you to lose a friend or two, depending on how the game plays? Um, so we start with theme. <clears throat> And again, I just sort of, uh, <laughs> I guess hit the theme in the head, right? It's a dungeon crawler. Or do we want, let me, do you want to talk about it first before we jump in? I mean, in? it's been out since 2014, but we can give a quick overview. So it's a dungeon <laughs> crawler. 
uh, PvP based, but there's also PvE objectives. So you have to accomplish both yeah. to be able to win the scenario and you upgrade your characters with different gear throughout the game. You get a total of three characters to play with. So you have a variety of abilities. Each one's sort of unique. Um, and basically there's a small story behind it, light narrative where you're trying to beat basically Lord Fang, who's like a vampire type boss at the end. Um, designed by Thiago Aranha. Guillermo Goulart, sorry, I'm butchering names, Eric Lang and Fred Parrott, um, 2014 release, and takes about an hour to play. If you have four people, it's definitely- How did you pronounce that? that? Fred? Was that Fred? Fred Perret. <laughs> Fred Perret? Maybe he's French? <laughs> Just the Fred part. Yeah, Fred. I w- all those other names, I wasn't expecting a Fred, but- All right, so theme. <laughs> Go ahead. So I, uh, I went with a 3.5 for theme, because um, I think um, from a story- from the characters, um, what you're doing in this sort of fantasy world. Um, I think it, it does a pretty good job of making you feel like you're in this little world and you have these cool characters, um, that, that are, that have a unique asymmetric ability that is only, uh, available on that character. So I went with the 3.5. I'm a three. Um, Arcadia quest is pretty generic. I think the characters are cool and interesting. Um, story doesn't really pull me in too much. It's very light. They kind of prove that theme isn't very important because they basically rebuilt this game with Starcadia Quest and threw a space theme on it, like a fresh coat of paint. But it's very generic in a lot of senses. The weapons don't really, you know, there's no Glamdring or or, uh, Narsil like in Lord of the Rings type stuff. There's just, I think lore doesn't lend itself well to this. They didn't build it out too much. And so the theme's just very plain. So I just gave it a three. No, it's not bad, but it's not doesn't knock me out of my my chair. Where'd you have on balance? So balance, I had a four. Um, I think the game's pretty mm-hmm. good with balance with respect to the PvP and PvE aspect. I think everybody has a pretty good opportunity to upgrade gear throughout the course of the game to keep themselves competitive. I think the character abilities, while being very different, um, do have some good ones and some bad ones, but as a whole, your, your trio of heroes balance it out pretty well. I think the PVP or sorry, PVE aspect of it's pretty good too. None of the monsters feel especially difficult. Some of them you have to kind of cooperate a little bit to get them down. Um, bosses are, you know, generally fun to fight and not overly difficult. Uh, I think overall it's just a pretty well balanced game. So I gave it a four. Yeah, I was similar. I had a 3.5 as well, uh, for balance. The only reason why I didn't go higher is the fact that, and again, maybe it's subjective, but that there is a tier system to the heroes. And I think if you have a tier system that gets generated for your, you know, your characters, that there's something wrong there because there shouldn't be a tier structure. Um, but I, you know, I guess there's been what articles and stuff talking through the different tiers of the heroes. And like I said, I can't go higher. Um, but a lot of it is how you play. And how you play the characters and how you play the characters with the gear that you get. And so it's sort of middle of the road for me from a balance standpoint. Cause I mean, um, and also, I mean, in a weird way, you don't have to necessarily balance out your even, even your whole team. You can just yeah. have one amazing character that runs around and does everything. And the other two are just there to <laughs> hello, pick nibbles. up coins and pick up loop. Yeah. Hello, nibbles. Right. But <clears throat> you know, so I went with a 3.5. I'm curious when you play that game, do you generally stack one character or not? No, I don't do that. I, think you, <laughs> I always did that. It was always Grom. Grom was the man. <laughs> no, running around I, shirtless and murdering people. 
I um I love I I love the drafting of the heroes. And again, when you have yeah, what two hundred heroes to pick from, like you don't get to see them all, which is kind of you know sad in a way. But like I like the drafting mechanism that you can draft the heroes in the beginning, and I think that adds a little bit of sort of you know uniqueness to it. Um, yep. You don't need to do it that way either. You can just pick and go. But like uh, I like that it you know you try to find stuff that. Yeah, you, know, you, you can balance your own team so that it's not just all one-sided of all melee or it's all magic users or all ranged. You know, there's a, you can get a mixed bag. Um, and then just, you know, working with them individually, um, to make them each stronger as you go. I don't know. I always enjoyed that aspect of it. No, I did too. It's a good part of that game. I think they hit the nail on the head there, especially with the roster size. It's pretty fun. So what'd you have for fun? I <laughs> I also had a 3.5 for fun. Um I I I do love this game. I enjoy playing this game. Um however, it can be a little monotonous at times and a lot of the sameness even though you have new weapons going from you know uh story to story. Uh sometimes it does get a little bit, you know, uh you know, like Groundhog Day. Oh, I killed these guys again. Oh, I'm killing these guys again. Oh, I'm killing these guys again. It gets, it can be a little bit of a, what is it, like a farm farming system <laughs> to a degree, but I get it. Um, but that does play a little bit into the fun. Uh, and then also, uh, I think another aspect is the sort of the components as far as like the setup and teardown adds to my level of fun. Maybe that's unfair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. I have to ding it a little bit because it's it's a beast to get to the table. It it's is. a beast to switch scenarios, and then it's a beast to put away. Um, so three point five. I'm not gonna let the setup teardown weigh in, but that's an excellent point towards <laughs> fun. Uh, I didn't even consider that, and I should probably start. But I feel like most games would take a hit based off of what I see on my shelf, just off of that alone. Uh, I gave it a a four for fun. Every time I play this game, I have a good time. I played it a lot with my son when he was younger. He really enjoyed this game. Um, would even come up with his own rules sometimes, which was a little less fun than the actual rules. But I think the PvP aspect really fun, especially, uh, I've played this with groups of, of, in a group of four several times and, you know, it's, um, gets pretty aggressive, which is pretty fun. Um, the thing that I docked it for is when you're the one on the other side of that, it can, be pretty tough. I played this with yeah. Brad years ago, and he may remember this if he listens. There was a game where I killed him seven or eight times, and he just could not do anything. Um, and every time you die, you get death tokens and stuff. So he was just racking up these death tokens. He was just not having fun, and I'm making money every time I'm killing him. So the power shift between the two of us was just getting worse as the game went on. So I think there's some balance slash fun things there that kind of mess with the game a little bit and can make it not fun if you're on the receiving end of that. But I think overall, scenario-wise and gameplay-wise between PV and PvP, it's a pretty fun game. And anytime you get a game where you've got characters where you get to upgrade them with gear and cool stuff in between, that's always a really fun thing for me. I, I just, you know, playing video games over the years that let you do stuff like that, that constant treadmill of progression is rewarding. And so that's a, a very fun part for me. So gave it a four. So for uh component quality, I, I don't know if I feel right about this, but I gave it a five. Maybe I'm a 4.5, but I, I'll just sit, stick with what I gave it a five. Everything about the game is very, very well done. 
The minis are the chibi style, which, you know, some people hate, some people don't. I don't care. It looks fine. I painted a bunch of mine up. They're very high quality miniatures, lots of detail. Um, everything about them, both the heroes and the, the monsters look great. Some of the monsters are pretty big models, which is pretty cool. The cardboard uh, tokens are fine. The board itself is very detailed. The art's fantastic. The rule book's great. Um, you know, you get a huge amount of stuff in the box. You get even more if you get some of the expansions. Um, again, I'm not going to factor those in, but I will say like the dragons are really, really nice. Uh, all the cards you get are great. I think storage is a little bit of a pain in the butt. So I, that's probably why I would ding it a 4.5 as this game, this was a game that could have used an insert. Um, it's just, there's so much like Ken mentioned, getting it in and getting it out to play is such a hassle sometimes. So that's probably where I would have docked it. But otherwise, I think, Overall, the game's just really, really lovely and fun to play um, because of how nice everything is. So, you know, between a 4.5 and a 5, I'll just say 5 because that's what I wrote down. I also went 5 on component quality. Um, and again, it's Simon. Simon, yeah. I don't think, makes a bad component in any of their games. I, I, at least if it do, I haven't played it yet. And um, again... I love the chibi style. I don't know what it was. This was my first game that I got into it and I, I don't know. I was a sucker for it. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's fun. It, it's, it's cute. It's fun. Um, I, I just enjoyed that sort of quality or that art style, which adds to the quality. Um, the, the, the artwork on, I mean, there's so much gear in this game. Yeah. Like, um, and, and again, even if you have the cardboard, there's still really high quality cardboard pieces. Um, I have the plastic pieces, um, because that's, this was a game I was going all in on and I'm going to go all in on it. Um, so like the, the tokens you use on your board are, you know, shaped like your guild. Um, they're unique per color. They're unique across the other expansions down the road where they add more guilds and add more characters. So, um, again, components are just, you know, second to none. Again, it's Simon. That's what you're going to get. Yep. So where'd you have replayability? So I had replayability at a five. Uh, the sheer amount of heroes to choose from, the sheer amount of gear to configure for your characters, the fact that when you play through the campaign, you can go through different paths each time. It's not always going to be the same thing. Who you play with and how they play the game. Uh, there's just so many it's, permutations of this game that can present themselves. It's just really, really good and has tons and tons of replayability. And that's, you know, not even including all the other hero expansions, all the other dragons. Base. Yeah. Just the base game itself has that much replayability. So it's a five for me. And if you, you know, have Arcadia Quest and have played it, you'll probably understand. If you don't, and you are looking at buying the game and you see all these expansions out there, you don't need them to have that level of replayability. It's, it's just that good in the, in the base box. So five all the way. And again, we are aligned as well. Replayability of this was a Look five at that. Um, for me. Um, again, um, my son, just because of the replayability, we don't get to finish a lot of campaigns, but I've got like four different campaigns started with my son because he, loves the replayability factor because he yeah. wants to play as different characters quickly. 
or he wants to switch them out. And I guess I could figure out how to do it differently, <laughs> but I'm just, a, I'm such a purist that I want to start over then because if he gets new characters, I want new characters. So like <laughs> I've got like, uh, and again, he, he wants to keep playing it. Um, so again, replayability, um, is, is again, it's a five because just in that, again, just in the, in the core base game that you get, you've got years of content in there and you won't, and you probably won't see it all. Throw in an expansion, you've just had another year, maybe two. Um, because of again, the, the, you know, the, again, the, the, um, the campaign system, you can pick different paths. Um, and again, and sometimes if you win, you will pick a different path because you did something on the prior. Um, the different heroes will mix it up. Even the heroes in its, in the base, mixing those up or throwing mass more and get those heroes, you know, uh, it's just again. That's one thing that is, again, which is also why I don't know why you need to buy Starcadia Quest, because there was so much to play in Arcadia Quest. I yeah. don't know why it needed to be a thing. So Money. So what was your final score? So I ended up at a 4.2, which, you know, actually was a little bit higher than I thought it would be. But the more I sat and thought about my scores, the more I felt good about some of those five. So this is a game I've gotten a lot of time and enjoyment out of over the years. Yeah. I have a four. I have it as a 4.1. Um, so we're close. Uh, and again, we were only off half a percentage throughout the whole, you know, except for the, the two double fives at the end. But, yep. um, but yeah, I agree. I've, I've never regretted owning it. I've never regretted owning everything for it. Uh, I've enjoyed every time I've gotten to play it. Again, want to play it more. You know, if I could leave it set up somewhere so that it's just easy to jump in, <laughs> that would probably make it happen, but there's a lot to it. A fun anecdote about this game. I was over at your place years ago when we were going to play this. <laughs> and I was joking around with you because you had all the initial Kickstarter exclusives that came with it. And you had a copy of they, – they did a character named Bob who was a playoff of Tim the Enchanter from Monty Python's uh, you know, Quest for the Holy Grail, the movie. And at the time, I want to say – it was valued at like two or two hundred fifty or three hundred bucks. That's how rare this thing was to get. And I was messing with you. You're like, "What character do you characters do you want?" I'm like, "How about we crack open a Bob?" And you're like, "Yeah, sure." And I'm like, "What?" Like I couldn't believe you agreed to it. And you're like, "Oh, I have another one it's still in the shrink." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And I looked this week at Mini Market had a sale, and guess who's on that list? Bob. Yes. <laughs> Actually, wait a minute. No. Yeah, I saw that You know too. what? Was it Bob or was it Tom Rick? I think it might have been Tom Rick. Oh, Tom Rick definitely dropped in value. The Tom Vassal Mini. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one definitely dropped in value. Maybe I'm thinking Tom Rick instead of Bob, but it just made me laugh because some of these exclusives back when you know they were truly more yeah. exclusive and that game was more in the zeitgeist of collectors was way overvalued, and now they've all come down to you know Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card levels. So it goes to show you, uh, sell while the getting's good if you're going to do that. So will well, this the last game... one is always our yeah. Go What's ahead. that? <laughs> go ahead. Oh, the last category, which we do it for fun, is would this game cause you to lose friends? I put this as a yes. Uh, I have been very angry at moments in this game throughout many playthroughs. Mm -hmm. Not every playthrough I get angry, but there are sometimes someone will do something. That will just blow your mind that they shouldn't be doing, even though they just did it. <laughs> um, and, and they will make you really not want to play. Um, so I definitely put this as a lose friends type of game. Yeah. I'm with you there. We, uh, the PVP aspect of this is very important to being able to win. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, there's some, some real shit that happens sometimes with, uh, the PVP. You'll get, you know, uh, uh, armistice treaties between players to go take out somebody else who's one wound away from killing the boss and finishing that pve objective and you'll you know gang up on them only to have somebody turn around and shoot you in the face with an arrow and you're dead and you've lost all positioning so there's a lot of that that happens in this game because pvp is required so that is something you should be aware of that being said if you're playing with the right people it can be really fun um to just constantly smash each other with nibbles and Grom and all the other fun characters in the game. So you'll lose friends, uh, potentially yeah. depending on your group, but there's, there's a lot of anger moments like that that are present in this game well, without a doubt. Yeah. I'll, I will give you one scenario. Again, it wasn't my best form. It was many years ago. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've altered. I've matured <laughs> somewhat. Um, that's debatable. Uh, it was again one of the, uh, one of the later campaign, you know, late, later stories in the campaign. We were almost done. And it was one of the scenarios where everyone was down in these narrow hallways. And there was one way out of your sort of starting zone. And I was last to go. And the player before me uh, threw a bomb down the entire (laughs) hallway outside of my starting area. So the way the bomb works is it's always there on the space. So you are taking damage as you're leaving your starting area. Now... There was no strategic reason why other than they could do that. I, I had to stop and go outside and get some air and yell outside for a little bit because I had also blown up at the table and question why this person would do this. That doesn't make it. And they were just, everyone else at the table was enjoying it and seeing my reaction. So yeah, that, that wasn't my best moment, but. Definitely ties to the lose friends category. Well, now I know what to do if we ever play this together. See, I I just I showed you the Achilles heel. <laughs> now I just got to cut it, sever it completely. <laughs> All right, All longest right, episode ever, and we're not done yet. Yeah, we did it. Let we it, found it. We got back bought yet, and then we can head out for the night. So let's uh, let's jump right into that. You want to go first on your backed? What do you? What did you back since the last time? We so spoke? casting. So casting shadows just ended today, um, and then uh, another small campaign that showed up. Well, hold up, hold uh, up, hold since- up, hold up. Oh, sorry. Okay. I want to talk about casting shadows quick because you told me okay. that you weren't going to do the big pledge. And now I, you told me you moved up to the big pledge. Why? What changed your mind? I actually did not. Oh, you didn't? I thought, I, I thought other. That a boy. I, I'm going to live with uh, acrylic standees <laughs> and not vinyl figurines. Because um, again, I, it was weird because we talked, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't do it because we talked about it earlier in the episode. It just didn't happen. I, uh, <coughs> I, um, I just, I don't think it needed it. Although they did add a lot to that tier that made it worth. Actually, they added a lot to the different tiers, uh, and they did so much to this campaign. Yeah. So I gotta give, I gotta give uh, Unstable Games some kudos. This is, they definitely have an audience here. They definitely have a fan base. Um, and, and I think we all showed that they, we want them to keep making this games in this universe and in this world. And, um, they kept adding more stuff for people uh, just because we, I mean, it was what, $4 million they raised. Um, and what, 30 some thousand backers? Like it's crazy. Uh, again, it's, it's not shattering records, but it was their biggest Kickstarter to date. 
And, yep. um, and again, they added so much to that second pledge or to the, to the deluxe pledge. It was not just about the minis this time. There was more that they added. And I'm like, eh, I'm okay with my pledge. Um, I still have to add that extra character to the pledge manager. Cause I, this is my first <laughs> for the amount of unstable games that I own and play. This was my first Kickstarter for them. So I didn't get the free mini. So I have to buy it. <laughs> the free character, not mini, but the free character. So yeah, I thought they get the, an extra 30 bucks or something out of me. I thought that price jump for the last tier was pretty darn big and made it pretty hard to argue in favor of it, in my opinion, for what you yeah. got. Um, because again, like going back to our discussion tonight, like, do you need those to play the game? No, you don't. Are they cool? Yeah. But are they worth that much extra money? Probably not. Um, but even like, even like looking at it from a price standpoint, right? You get a base character and then you get like its ultimate form, right? Like a Dragon Ball Z form of it, right? And there's what, 12? So 12 times two, see, that's 24. So mathematically for a hundred dollars, you get a pretty decent value for 20, you know, for that, you know, in a way. Yeah. And it's already painted. You know, they're not, it's not, um, they're not minis. They're vinyl figures. Of gray plastic. So you think, what's that? Not hunks of gray plastic. No. I mean, they're like, like kid robot Funko pop style, like yep. art in a way. Right. So if you look at it that way, it's not a bad value. Plus they added all the other stuff. So, but, but again, I was, I held strong. I held strong. Um, and just kept my, uh, sort of not the, not the, you know, the bare bones pledge and not the deluxe. I'm in the middle. So. All right. I just had to ask and you about then, that. <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate that. Yeah. Keep me honest. Um, <laughs> and then, um, just again, we didn't know it was going to happen. Um, but, and I, and again, I've talked about this designer on a couple of episodes. Um, John Cloudus from Small Box Games launched a quick 10 day campaign. It ends in, I think, 40 hours or something like that. So uh, a couple days. Or, you know, a, a day and a half or so. And, um, it's for a new card game, two player, uh, card game called An Empty Throne. And again, I, again, it's, it's not a awful price point, but again, it's a John Cloudus game. Um, the artwork on it looks really cool. So I backed that. Um, so that ends soon as well. And it just, it funded, uh, pretty quickly. Cause again, John Cloudus has his fan base because again, we, we know and love his games. Um, but then also it's not like, it's not a cash grab. It's, do you want my game or not? Here's what it costs. Okay, cool. You know, like, and he, it's not, it's not glitzy. It's not glamour, but he's happy. He got to do a, a new tuck box based on the, the amount of backers. He had like two stretch goals for the campaign and we hit him. So looking forward to that one. Cool. What are you backing? Well, uh, only one. Hamlet, which is one that I did back funded, so that's good news. Um, and I did do a couple pledge managers for Honey Buzz and Deep Rock recently, so that's also good news. But the only one that I've added to my list was a game called Mercurial. Um, I was kind of on the fence about it for a little while, but the uh, stretch goals plus some of the uh, you know rule book and gameplay that I took a look at had me intrigued. And so I definitely think it's going to be a good one. Um, it's a bit of dice mitigation type game where you're basically crafting spells from elements and so you have a bit of asymmetry across the different characters from what i understand and and you kind of um 
use the dice to craft your spells, but you can use the skills of the asymmetric characters plus some other abilities to craft the dice and elements to fit what you need. Um, and then you kind of use your spells to craft and, and combine enough to basically hit these heroic deeds, which I think are probably ways to extra for extra scoring or potentially even trigger end game. So looks pretty good. Um, production value looks through the roof. The art is absolutely beautiful. Uh, there's a lot about the game visually that I'm definitely interested in, but the gameplay itself actually looks pretty fun. So looking forward to seeing that, um, should get six. It's, I think it's a thousand percent funded. So it's definitely going to back. I think there's like eight or nine days left. So, um, probably won't see that for quite a while, but, uh, definitely one that was, a you know, had my eye for a while. There's a couple others I'm watching, but that was the one that won out. So I'm trying to not back too much other stuff. There's another one out there called Feralis that you and I were both looking at. Um, yeah, I was really on the fence about backing that. I still might. I'm not sure that has a little while to end yet too, but, uh, for now Mercurial wins because it just looks like a solid game in addition to being, you know, artistically a, a beautiful piece of, uh, of game on the table. So that's it for back for me, but I picked up, uh, another expansion. You'll be proud. I do not have Ooh. the alchemist expansion for quacks. I ordered it. And then ironically, coming back full circle to shut up and sit down. They released a video that day to review the Alchemist expansion for Quacks. So I just want to make it known that I ordered the expansion before they put the video out. They did not influence this purchase. So take that. <clears throat> I I smell I smell a, a fib. No, not bullshit. Well, at least <laughs> I don't think so. If it was out, I didn't know it. Let's put it that way. Uh, I also picked up No Thanks at that Target sale. In addition, I got uh, Trails, which, you know, was made by the Parks folks. Um, looks like a fun game. Just wanted to own it because it was a small box game and I basically got it for free. And uh, we also picked up Medium, which is a party game. And I know I mentioned earlier party games are not my thing. Medium's a pretty long-standing classic in the party game genre. Um, I know my wife really likes those style of games too. And I didn't think target actually carried medium, but we were walking around the store after I had picked out the other stuff. And I think I had happy salmon or something with me for the kids. And I am walking past an end cap on the shelf and she goes, what's this? And she picks up the medium box. I'm like, holy shit, I didn't know that was here. So I put back happy salmon because who am I kidding? They're probably not going to play it. Added medium, yeah, brought that, that home. Call. Uh, it's, it's a cool game. I'm looking forward to getting to try it. We're going to see some friends, uh, this weekend, I think. So we're going to whip it out and see if everybody likes it. Uh, should be a fun game. And I was really surprised to find it. So that was pretty much everything I purchased. How about you? Yeah. So, um, so number one, did you, was I correct in the selection was better at that target? No, no, believe it or not. No, think so. I think okay. they were pretty close, honestly, in terms of like. It's funny because you were mentioning games that actually are not at the other target, which is what's interesting. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, but I've looked at medium and picked up medium several times. Uh, I always scan it to see if it's on clearance because I think I'm. Gonna, I always wanted to buy it, but I didn't for some reason never thought that it was worth twenty dollars. But <laughs> that's just me, because um, again, I never play party games really. But uh, that is definitely yeah. one I wanted to try. It looks really good. I've always, and I've heard. Well, they always joke like that. It's like a joke in the in the board gaming. Like, oh, well, they made medium. You know what I mean? Because it's like sort of not a game, but it is a game yeah. in a weird way. <laughs> um. So, um. So, uh. Again, I I push this target sale on everybody. I think I we even posted it on Instagram. So my you get uh, target buy to get one. 
What's that? You should get commission at this point from Target. <laughs> um, so my two buy two get one was Draftosaurus, which again I I played a little bit of already. I think it's going to be great. Um, it's 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 uh it's it's interesting. It's a small little drafting game um, from Pandasaurus. Um, I picked up Chiseled, which I never knew existed. Um, but I really scour the target app for board games. Uh, and Chiseled is, um, it's a deck deconstruction game. So basically, Interesting. uh, you, everyone has the same deck of cards and your goal is to try to get rid of cards from your deck. And when you think you got like to a good point total, like, cause different types of, uh, having so many of a certain set or having so many of a certain thing is worth more points. So you're trying to shed cards from your deck. Um, so I just thought that was a unique, again, the reverse deck builder, right? I, I, so I don't have anything quite like it. So I wanted to give that a shot. And, you know, I, to your surprise, I didn't own a copy of Arboretum. So <laughs> I had to get that in the collection. Yeah. Um, no brainer. Because again, I just, I've enjoyed that so much. I'm even debating whether I want those other trees from Board Game Geek Store. Oh, I didn't even know trees. those existed. Yeah, like alternate art. It's kind of lame, but I don't know, just to have it, I guess. <laughs> um, I respect it. But yeah, so that was my, that was my buy two, get one target sale. Uh, and then, then we hit Barnes and Nobles. Uh, and Barnes and Nobles, again, if you don't know, they have exclusive games. They have got exclusive versions of games. Um, but they also have a pretty decent game section. Um, and when a company like that has a game section, they also have a clearance section. So I picked up, uh, the Village Crone, uh, for $15. So, uh, I have it set up here. Uh, and we're about to go through the solo mode of that. Um, and a game I've wanted for a very long time. It has a lot of expansions <clears throat> and they just came out with the 25th anniversary edition and it's Bonanza. Uh, and that is Uwe Rosenberg's sort of bean game. And it's <laughs> one of his oldest designs. And I think, you're going to love this. It's fun. Um, it's got, it's, it's, it's so simple and so silly, but it's so fun. So I can't wait for us to play that. So I'm definitely happy with that purchase. Sounds good to so me. That is my purchased or bought. Well, that wraps up the longest episode in play games, lose oh, friends. Just shy over two. Very over short two. history. Yeah. Just, just shy of two hours. That is impressive. Uh, we had a lot to talk about. And we're going to have a lot to talk about coming up soon. We have some good news on the interview front. We are speaking with designer of Cosmic Frog, a guy by the name of Jim Felly. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. Um, hoping to get him on the show sometime late April, early March to talk about Cosmic May. Frog, game design, but also a new project he's working on. So pretty exciting stuff. So we'll be following up with Jim soon and we'll let you guys know when that's going to be as, as best we can. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. In the meantime, make sure you check out our Instagram account, Play Games Lose Friends. Check out our website, playgamesloosefriends.com. If you have any questions, comments, things you want us to discuss, discuss on the show, if I could talk, email us at playgamesloosefriends <laughs> at gmail.com. Also, to help us out, if you can, 
Please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to us on. Any good reviews help push us up and get more folks like yourself listening and enjoying the show, hopefully. We do have one one one-star review. Whoever that person is, I applaud you for your bravado. Do you have any parting (laughs) words for our dear listeners, Ken? Um, I just wanted to say thank you again uh, to Chris for giving us the prototypes of Survive the Game. Um, and again, you know, we really appreciate it. So again, if anyone else has anything else that you want us to take a look at, a new game coming up or a Kickstarter campaign that's coming down the pike, you know, let us know. We're here to help. Agreed. Thank you, Chris. And my advice is on our topic of overproduction, don't judge a book by its cover. There's some really good games out there that the Kickstarter doesn't look so great. It doesn't have a crap ton of miniatures. doesn't have the greatest art in the world, but underneath there's probably a pretty good game in some cases. So check out the rules, check out the game, don't jump to conclusions, give everybody your fair shake, because you don't need all the fancy stuff to play a fun, good game with other people. Sometimes you just need a good game. All right, that will do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you all next time. In the meantime, play some games, don't lose your friends or your family, and have some fun. Bye, everybody. 